Hey guys and girls, welcome, welcome to, to Single to Sealed. I'm Jerry, your host, and here with me is my co-host and wife, Brianna. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have dedicated this podcast to helping fellow Christians navigate the treacherous waters of dating all the way to the winding roads of marriage. All are welcome in our podcast family, and we are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe, follow, or favorite. Let's talk. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another fabulous episode of Single to Sealed. We are so excited to be back for this episode with a very special guest. Welcome back, Tanisha Shedden. Yay! Hey, guys! <laughs> hey, Tanisha. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode today. We're thrilled to be able to record this episode and talk about a very important subject. Um, as you have probably read already in the title, today we're talking about five ways to tell if you are in a toxic relationship. So we're going to talk about red flags today. And Tanisha, just to give us kind of a rundown of what you're going to be sharing today, what tips do you have for us? Yeah, I've just got five basic ideas about how you can avoid um, toxic relationships. I'm going to talk about just kind of what to look for, being aware of things involving anger, setting boundaries for yourself, emotional things that might come up and how people how the other person might behave towards you. Um, and we're going to talk about manipulation. We're going to talk about um, kind of punishments and things like that. So we're going to talk about the nitty gritty things that you can look for. Um, and usually you'd notice them right away. If, if you're experiencing these, you would notice them. And these are important because I think a lot of times they're just underlying things in a relationship that you might think, oh, I don't like this about that person. I don't like that they do that. But it's a sign of something deeper going on. Can we can we talk about um, what exactly like makes a relationship toxic? Because I think we hear this phrase a lot. Like, what is a toxic relationship in the first place versus, you know, this person has some bad quirks or maybe that they don't necessarily do something that I like. You know, what, what makes a relationship considered toxic? I think there can definitely always be toxic elements in every relationship. But what makes an entire relationship toxic is if the other person is continually pushing over your boundaries, if they're disrespecting you and overall, if they're demeaning you. So, and it could go both ways. If you're participating in this behavior as well, then yes, you're definitely in a toxic relationship and it might be good to let yourself heal if you're participating. But I think just a toxic relationship is when one or more partners are participating in behavior that is over overtaking um, the other person's free agency. Yeah, I really like that. And I just want to add something. I kind of feel like toxic would be anything that is giving you way more bad than it is giving you good at on any given day, not just on days when maybe you're having like a fight or a disagreement or, you know, just issues and a bad day, but like on every single day, there's always more bad than good. I think that I would consider that a toxic relationship. Yeah. I think if you're spending a lot of your days feeling a lot of stress, anxiety, and depression, you know, depression, and as a result of this relationship you're in, it's probably better for you to get out of it. Yeah. 
Yes, I agree. If you're if you're in a toxic relationship and you're dating, definitely you can get out of it. If you're married and you're in a toxic relationship, I think you can try to heal your relationship through counseling and such, but it's also a very difficult path. And I can also just share signs of what you might be emotionally experiencing when these things are happening. Sounds great. Let's dive in. What is your first tip for us, Tanisha? Okay, the first tip, the first sign that you're in a toxic relationship is if your partner follows a cycle of being belligerent, angry, or belittering you. And so they'll start being like getting super angry about little things, belittling you. Um, They'll use threats, calling you names, things like that. And then they'll go through a cycle of time where they butter you up. They're going to buy you flowers. They might buy you nice things, shower you with compliments. It's kind of like it goes from being the worst thing you could ever experience to being like a honeymoon phase. And they'll go from just demeaning you to absolutely treating you as if they were the perfect partner. And maybe you would notice this. In the start of a relationship, the person is, you're in the honeymoon phase with them. And then all of a sudden, they turn into the devil and they're demeaning you and they are calling you names and they're getting belligerently angry. And this would involve sometimes, like, this is where you'd see dating violence start to come in. They'll smack you, they'll hurt you, and then they'll be like, oh, I feel so bad. I'll never do that again. I'm so sorry. Please take me back. Buy you nice things. And then all of a sudden you have the perfect relationship again and it goes back and forth through that. So that's the number one sign. One of the terms is love bombing, right? Yeah. So like the honeymoon phase they're Yeah, they're love bombing you. It's kind of that's kind of a basic cycle of abuse is when they they abuse you verbally or physically or both. And then they love bomb you. Yeah. I think this is a good um, topic. For sure, as a, as a first point, because I think when we think of this toxic behavior, we think of, I mean, obviously this is true too, but we think about somebody who's constantly being mean and constantly belittling and constantly making you feel worthless. And if 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 that person's not doing that, then, you know, they probably can just, they could probably just change and our relationship's okay. So I like that you bring this up because it, it explains that this can happen in a reoccurring cycle. And it doesn't even have to be 24-7, but it's behavior that's constant enough that you can almost expect it. And I'm sure that when you feel those love bombs or those things, like everything just feels inauthentic. feels like they're trying to compensate for the for knowing that they're doing or participating in this behavior. Well, I think it's really good to note here that a lot of times we ask people who have been in abusive relationships or toxic relationships, like, why did you stay with this person if they were so bad to you? And I think a lot of that is because of those moments of love bomb of love bombing, where they're like, but he can be so sweet, but she can be so kind to me when she wants to be. Or, you know, you don't understand how great she is when she wants to be great, you know, those kind of things. So it, it in toxic relationships, like Jerry's saying, it's not always toxic. And that's why it can be really confusing when you're in one to recognize and accept that you're in a toxic relationship because you're clinging to those times where they are really sweet or they are really, really kind or they do shower you with love. Um, and you're not they're not focusing on those times when it isn't that. Yes, I completely agree. I think that 
on the times where it's the honeymoon phase, people get really like, and I'll say this, an abuser might actually feel strong remorse and they might be authentically trying to make up for this. And that's what makes you feel like you're in a perfect relationship. And emotional things that will come out of that experience might be for the person that's being abused. It might be questioning whether that person really loves you. Questioning whether you deserve the treatment you got is a big one. You're like, you're like, he's so nice to me now. Wow. I was kind of, you know, I was kind of in a grumpy mood and I snapped at him. Maybe he, maybe I did deserve it. Things like that. Like you will start to think that you deserved how you were treated and you'll also start to feel like maybe maybe the problem's with me because they're so perfect. Like they are like the perfect, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse when I'm acting this way. And when I'm not perfect, they treat me like a dog. And I deserve that. You know what I mean? Really, it really confuses people and it is really hard for people to leave those relationships. Moving to the second point is the partner sets rules or boundaries for you to follow, but when you ask for things or set boundaries, they railroad you or don't respect you. So what that looks like is like they set specific rules for you that you're not allowed to follow, whether it's like you're not allowed to wear a certain thing. This might be like... um you know, the woman in the relationship. So the man tells the woman, you know, you're not allowed to wear these certain types of clothes when we go out with my coworkers. And you're not allowed to spend money. You're not allowed to do this. Giving them rules. And when you break them, it turns into that belligerent behavior. But also, when you ask for rules or set boundaries, like, hey, can you not, you know, say these things when you're in an argument with me? It hurts my feelings. They will not respect you and they will not do it. And so that's the second one that you'll notice. And that could also occur in just a regular boyfriend, girlfriend relationship or a marriage. Yeah, I think um, that's an- another really important point because uh, we definitely have to be able to respect each other and be able to feel like we're open to communicate. That doesn't mean we have to be perfect communicating but we always have to be open to the other person's feelings and um nobody wants to feel run over or railroaded that's for sure yes and the rules and boundaries specifically in in this aspect are like they might be really rigid like you have to follow them um it might be like you're not allowed to like they don't want to share stuff or things like that um and if you break the boundaries, it's like a big deal. But if you ask for things from them, they don't respect you and they think that you're kind of being disrespectful. So that's number two. I feel like also just to add on to that before we go to number two, um, another sign I would be if they set boundaries or you set boundaries together and they cross those boundaries. But for them, it's not a big deal. But if you do it, mm-hmm. it is a big deal. So they they play by different rules than you do. Um, and they see themselves as like above the law almost. And yeah, so they just play by a different set of rules in the relationship. Yes, I agree. Thank you. Um, and then moving on to number three, that this one's a big one. They mock your emotions, like doing things like telling you you're cute when you're mad or laughing at you when you cry. Um, 
emotional mocking is a huge one. It is so demeaning. It is. I've experienced it. It's like, I can't even describe it. It's one of the worst things that I've ever experienced in my life. Just like having somebody laugh at you when you're crying or having somebody say that you're faking it or having somebody basically invalidate your emotions while you're openly expressing them. And so what this really looks like is just a person. They, you could be, you could be driving in a car. You could be expressing whatever emotion is like, Hey, I don't like this or Hey, like I'm feeling sad today, today. And this is what happened. And then them telling you that you're either overreacting or you're, you know, Oh, that's cute that you're mad or like actually sadistically like laughing at you while you're crying or yelling at you while you're crying. And so this one can get kind of convoluted because you might be, you know, someone might say like, you might be overreacting to this. Like, are you sure? Um, are you sure the other, you know, if it's a, a situation, they'll ask you, are you sure that, you know, this is the way you should be reacting? Like, are you being rational? And it's okay for someone to ask you if you're being rational, but when they won't take any of it and won't take both sides into consideration and just kind of make you think that you're crazy, that is a huge toxic sign. I would, I would say that's a, a good point. I know that there were um, times just in the beginning of Brianna and I's relationship where she would, she would say certain things. And, you know, to me, I would say, oh man, she's just a drama queen. Like you're being, you're being dramatic <laughs> about this. And she was bold and confronted me and said, I don't, I don't want you to tell me that I'm a drama queen, a drama queen or that I'm, I'm overreacting anymore. Like she set a boundary and she, and she said that, you know, I, I want you to validate my emotions because even though something may seem smaller to you, it's important to me. And I've, I took that to heart and that's something I've definitely tried my best to, to improve throughout our relationship. And he has done well. And that's the difference between being toxic and non-toxic is when I set a boundary and I let him know that something was hurtful to me and I didn't like feeling like my emotions were downplayed. He respected that and he improved. Um, I think it's important to note in all of these things, something that you said, Tanisha, was some relationships do have toxic elements just because we're all so imperfect. But most of this toxicity leads back to the fact that this person is this way and they're unwilling to change and unwilling to recognize what they're doing is wrong and and actually work to improve it and to treat you better. Yes, I agree. And on that point, so the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has a little blurb about abuse in the topical guide and also in the the family guidebooks they're little books about just how you can how you can help improve your family and they're actually lesson books that are just in lds tools or not lds tools sorry um gospel library so in this section it actually says that abusers typically won't admit to their wrongs and that's also part of this so in the process of deciding if you think your relationship is toxic or if there's just a couple of toxic elements you should look at okay is this person ever willing to admit they're wrong and a big thing is will they go to their bishop and repent because in 
you know, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, abuse is, um, it's a, it's a huge thing. It could keep you out of participating in temple worship and things like that. And just recognizing that if that person will go to their bishop and confess what they've been doing, that's a huge sign that they're willing to change. If they won't and they want to keep it a secret, it's likely not a good situation and you should evaluate that. Um, abusers most of the time will not admit that they've been doing that and will not admit they'll put the blame on you. They'll shift the blame. And so it's important that if your partner really is remorseful, they'll fess up. They'll do what they need to do. They will be willing to do anything to kind of reconcile, including telling other people outside of your relationship what they've done and being able to own it. And it is not an easy thing to do because abuse is very stigmatized and it's shameful for good reason. Yeah, I'd like to add that um, not only would they be willing to to confess, they'd be willing to accept the consequences. And I think that's that's really the struggle is people aren't so concerned about sharing. They're concerned about what happens next. And um, it's 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 hard to know because even bishops are put in a position where just because you go to the bishop and you confess that you've been doing something doesn't mean they're not obligated to report it to the police, you know, for example. And so that that's something that can scare people from from um, overcoming their abusive relationship. But it's definitely important as part of that repentance process to be willing to accept our the consequences of our of our actions. And uh, that's going to eventually get us to the place where we need to be is at least that's the goal i agree yes i think you know potential consequences should be the person should be willing to accept them and that's a hard thing to do especially if those consequences might involve jail time um in different states domestic violence you know it's you don't report it it's up to the victim to report and so you might be able to have the other person confess and work on healing that relationship in a in a manner that's safe. You might be able to separate, take your time, go to therapy, those types of things. But in other situations, you might not, just depending on what the law is. And also if there's children involved. I know I'm in Rexburg, Idaho. And if a child witnesses domestic violence, that's something that would involve a CPS phone call. And so it really it can get you into some sticky water and it can be really scary, but you know, getting help is definitely a process of accepting those consequences and things like that. Moving into step four, step four would be the other person manipulates you financially or takes your money or decides how money is spent. They might give you a small allowance and this is not an agreed upon joint decision. So what this might look like is I know of a friend, an old friend a long time ago. They would work a 40-hour work week. Their partner would take their full full check and cash it. And their partner would force them to sign and endorse the check over to them. And then they would take all of the cash and disappear for long periods of time. Saying that they were working or whatever else it was. And so... It's really interesting. Obviously, that one's a big obvious one. You know, like they're taking your money and they're disappearing and you don't know where they are. But also, if they're, you know, if they're doing little things like 
just taking money from you without asking. And a lot of people have joint accounts when they're married or when they're dating, they might, you know, I know when I was dating my husband, we kind of went in on groceries together sometimes just because we ate almost every night together. But if it's not a joint decision and they're manipulating you, they might be threatening you. If you don't give me X amount of money for my X, Y, Z, then you know, I'm going to leave you, whatever it is. It's that financial manipulation and they're taking taking money and making it so that you are dependent on them. So that's the major factor is that you are dependent on them. And if you wanted to get out of the relationship, you'd have to almost hide money in order to be financially independent. This one, I think, is one of the scariest forms of abuse. And I'll tell you why. It is because the only way to break away from the situation when they have all the money is to just let go and let God. Like, you have to find a church somewhere that will let you sleep there, a shelter or something. Um, and or you will you have to break away from that person entirely, clean break. There probably won't be any mediation because you just, you can't find resources to support yourself without them. And so I think this one's really scary because it traps people into being like, okay, if I leave this person, I'm going to be homeless or I'm going to be, you know, all my money goes to his bank account. How am I going to change that without him noticing and hurting me or vice versa? Because I think um, it's important to recognize that it could be either partner. It could be the man in the relationship or the woman in the relationship. I just want to say I totally agree with that. I have firsthand experience with that because that was a very similar situation to what my parents went through. When uh, my mom took us kids and and my parents got divorced is she left a situation just like that. And so we all packed up um, two grocery bags, each of clothes and got in the car and drove off and she had nothing. So we moved in with my grandparents and we are very lucky and very fortunate to have family that could help support us. But not everyone has that. Not everyone has even family that will can make space for them or can support them and can welcome them into their home. So it can be a very difficult, very scary, like you said, situation. And before we even get to that, though, because that sounds more of like a committed relationship, like a marriage, what are the signs that our listeners can look for in those they're dating for a, a relationship having this potential to become controlling like that? Yes, some things they can look for is... And it depends on the dynamics of the relationship, but if the other person is always demanding that you pay, there's a big sign. And it's not just like they want you to be chivalrous. It's like anywhere you go, like it's a demand that you pay and they don't buy their own things when they're with you, even if they have their own money. Um, and it goes beyond like, oh, like should the guy pay on the date? It's, it's like intense, like if you're not paying for things, then, and it goes both ways. Again, if you're not paying for things, then, you know, they don't want to be involved in the relationship. That's a big sign. Or another big sign is like, I know of a relationship, um, a long, long time ago that, you know, they demanded that they had a certain ring and the guy flew across the country and did summer sales for six months until she 
could have the ring and then um like and then they got married which i think it's sticky water but i think that actually is a sign like it was such a huge demand like i will not marry you unless you buy me the fourteen thousand dollar ring so that's a big sign i think in non-committed relationships like in dating it's really hard to see financial abuse because there's not always you know you're not always doing stuff that involves money and you don't share money unless the person is like super frugal and like super controlling about their money you really might not notice this one in dating and so I think when you get to the engagement phase and you start noticing how they talk about money and how um how they go about spending and things like that you might see some warning signs but this one particularly is really hard unless they have like a gambling addiction and money's going missing and they're constantly asking you to help them or something like that yeah i wanted to add that i feel like uh, we also have to be aware that if we are with somebody who has experienced in their personal life like their parents or other significant people in their family um, have some of these elements of a toxic relationship that they may be living in in fear of that same pattern happening to them frequently. And I think that's kind of natural just because it's something that you're, you kind of get traumatized by in some cases, you know, so just kind of touching back on, on Brianna and what she said about her situation, just our, our whole relationship, even though we were pretty good at, at budgeting and, and uh, letting know, letting each other know about big decisions, but even even the smallest buys in the beginning of our relationship, you know, Brianna would always say, "Is this okay? Is this okay? Can I buy this? Is this okay? Can I buy this? Is this okay?" And I'm like, "Stop asking me if you can buy stuff for five dollars. Like, stop asking me if you can get stuff for ten dollars." And she's like, "I just want to make sure it's okay, you know." But I wasn't in control of that. Like, I trusted her, and I think that was really really important part of our beginning of our relationship for her to understand that she she wasn't in. In, in a converse, in a relationship where somebody was um, controlling her financially. And uh, that's just another thing for you to look out for is, you know, you might have a situation where you need to help support somebody who has lingering effects of those relationships. Thank you for sharing that, Jerry. And to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, Tanisha, about looking for warning signs, I kind of had one come to my mind. When you are dating someone one thing that we always stress here on our podcast is to have really open and honest conversations, especially surrounding expectations you have for your relationship, specifically in regards to marriage. Um, and so if you are having good conversations about yourselves as a future married couple, of course, you would hope that how you spend your money and having joint incomes or single incomes and how you're going to spend it should definitely come up in conversation. And when that does come up in conversation, you should spend a lot of time talking about finances and what you see your financial situation being when you're married. And that's a good time for you to watch out for warning signs of how they talk about finances, how they talk about your future with finances, especially when it comes to being a woman. Um, If they say like, oh, well, I expect you to stay home with the kids and you know, I'll, I'll handle the finances and the budgeting. And I don't know, I can just, I can just see it as being something that's a very important conversation and, and definitely include the Lord in it. Pray about it. When you have these conversations with the person you're dating, pray for spiritual discernment. So when you have these conversations, the Lord can help guide you and, and help you notice the warning signs when you're having those, those chats with the person you're dating. I agree. Thanks for sharing that. I think, 
yeah, it's really important to have those open conversations and just be able to like understand what they are looking for and what you're looking for. And I think um, just on that note, yeah, like if you are, if you're a super ambitious woman and your your person that you're dating is like, I expect them to stay home with the kids and I'm the one that's going to be working and providing, like those are important conversations to have because if you change your mind and um, want to do something different, that could cause a lot of conflict in your relationship and things like that. And so you just want to be aware of that. Oh, I was just going to say, and kind of to add to what we were talking about, when you are having those conversations, this is a good time for you to be, if you're a woman especially, and planning on working from home to ask your significant other. So if you're like the one working, how much would you be okay with me having as like my own spending money? And would you be okay with me going out and shopping and doing this and this and this? And kind of asking those more probing questions about just just kind of sit there and chat about, you know, different scenarios and talk to them about that and see how they react and how they answer you. Because I feel like those will help open up a lot of um, opportunities for you to see how comfortable they are with you being able to spend money and you being able to have control of some of the finances and that kind of thing. I think a lot of these situations will um, come up naturally. And if they don't, try to make them natural because, you know, nobody wants to feel like they're being interrogated <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to dating, for sure. Like, especially if people are listening to this podcast, I don't, we're not that large of a podcast yet, but you know, what if someone else is listening to this podcast being like, you know, they're doing the single to seal thing, <laughs> 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 you know, but um, I don't know if it's going to quite be like that, but I just know if it was me, I wouldn't want to constantly feel like I'm being, you know, probed for what somebody wants to hear. So that's another thing, you know, don't probe somebody for what you want to hear. Just look for ways to create authentic uh, conversation. I agree. I think we've all, I think we've all at least been on one date where it felt more like a job interview <laughs> than a date. And so I think that's really important. Okay. Moving on to step five. Step five is it could occur in either a marriage or a dating relationship. It is they punish you either through silence, the silent treatment, refusing affection, refusing um, general love actions like act acts of service, like those things. And they do so even after you apologize. So what this looks like, I think... A big one that we see is the silent treatment. I think that one's a common one, and people don't necessarily see that as a a trait of toxic relationships. But the silent treatment is literally refusing the other person connection. And just if you know research or just general like understanding of what builds relationships, you know that attachment comes through that communication. And when you give someone the silent treatment and they're talking to you and you stay quiet, that makes it so that you're refusing them connection. And it's okay to verbally say, hey, like, I'm really overwhelmed. This conversation has gotten out of where I'm comfortable. Can we take a break for 10 minutes and talk about it? Then telling the other person, I will talk to you. But I just need some space and time to think. Maybe you go on a walk then, whatever it is. 
but if you're if you're overtly participating in giving someone the silent treatment, that is a toxic trait. And when you're the receiver, you know, I think most of us at one time or another have experienced the silent treatment and just think about sit with what that feels like. You know, I think refusing love actions as well is part of that. You're just refusing the other person love in general. And what you're saying when you participate in those actions is you do not deserve to be loved unless you behave the way I want you to. I think it's important to, um, like you've made that distinction there between the silent treatment and a break from the conflict or the conversation. Because sometimes, like you said, things do get like heated and there's a lot of feelings involved and it's okay to step back and be like, okay, let's just take a pause and not talk about this right now. I know Jerry and I have had to do this sometimes when we're in arguments where we're just like, okay, we, we can't talk about this right now. It's like too heated. We're too emotional. We're going to take a break for a little bit and come back to this later. And that's that's okay. But the the complete silent treatment like you're talking about where you're just not even giving them the time of day, that's that's definitely unhealthy. Yes, I will... I'll open up too, like in my life. So my former stepmom used to give our entire family the silent treatment for days at a time. Like, and we would not speak. It was the most eerie thing and emotionally stressful thing. So like there would be an argument or something and it could have been over something little or something big, but like there would be days where I was only spoken to for like, make sure you do the dishes, you know, make sure you get to school on time, but no other conversation. And it would last like one to three days at a time, sometimes a week. And it would just be like, so uncomfortable, like walking on eggshells, like, and you try to engage in a, like, say something like, oh, I, can I go do this? Like, you don't know if you're going to suddenly trigger a bomb. Um, because it's just that passive aggressive silence and it would go on for like extended periods of time. And this was extremely stressful. Like, and it, it affects like spouses. Yeah, definitely. But children that like see that and just like, it is so uncomfortable. (laughs) And so I definitely say this one's like, this one's a close to home one for me. I'm just like the silent treatment is like scary. It actually like makes me afraid when like when I receive the silent treatment, I like, it's like trigger for me. Yeah. I, uh, I understand that. And I, I think there is a correct amount of time, um, for people to have conversations about conflict or contention. I think it's really easy for some people to see something as small and kind of move on. Somebody else might see that small thing as a big thing and they think you're thinking about it, but really they're the only one thinking about it. You know? And so what happens is, they're waiting for the other person to come talk to them and they never do, you know, or, or vice versa. And so, you know, an advice for a, a good, healthy relationship, I think, would be for couples to not be waiting for the other person to start a conversation or to to talk about their feelings. And I, and I understand if someone's too too upset about a situation, you know, to take a second to calm down where you can talk in a civilized, you know, um, well-tempered conversation 
And it's, it's always best to approach a situation sooner than later. I know for me, it's difficult sometimes because if we wait too long to talk about something, then Brianna's version of the story isn't the same as my version of the story. And now we can't even agree on the, on the time, time of the events and how they took place. And it makes making amends a lot harder. And so there's definitely a con to waiting too long. There's definitely a con to, you know, starting too soon. You know, but definitely the the point here is that that conversation needs to happen. But we definitely need to be in a place where um, we can both agree that we're cool and collected enough to have those conversations. And like you say, if you still feel like you're not communicating that well enough, or someone's getting too upset, it's we have to allow each other to 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 step away. And letting somebody step away and have that space is is a good healthy step as well. I totally agree with that. I think. Yeah, there's just a there's a way to get your space. And I think the difference with the silent treatment and taking space is that a person who gives the silent treatment actually does not want space. They want you to feel uncomfortable and they want to control the conversation. So when someone's giving you the silent treatment, they're refusing to talk to you. Um and sometimes you might be talking to them like, "Hey, why won't you talk to me? What's going on?" like I you know, do you want to take a break? Things like that. And they don't answer you. It's really a control move. And that's a lot of what abuse is. People who are either emotionally, psychologically, or physically abusive typically are just trying to get control. And they might have like strong anxiety about not being in control. And so they'll do things like that. One of them would be, yeah, participating in that. Stonewalling. Um, yeah big deal keeps you from I don't know keeps you from being able to get your feelings out and it's definitely like they'll play little power moves throughout all these five things is when they're belittling you they want to make you feel powerless um when they're setting rules for you they're being above you because they don't follow the same rules they're mocking you. I mean, these are all things to make you feel small. And then financial control also. It's just, I have to have control all the time. And if I don't, like, I don't want to be with you. And the relationship isn't about love anymore. It's about who has the control. Yep. Thanks for expanding on that. Um, I know this may not be accepted as as doctrine, but um, for all you ladies out there, I'd like to add that when, when a guy asks... Uh, what's wrong? Can we talk? And you say nothing is fine. I think that counts as silent treatment. <laughs> I think it does in a way too. It does. Yeah, nothing. Cause, and I think that's like a trigger response. Like almost, I don't know, for me, when I say nothing, it's fine. It's like, I'm at a point where I feel like if I talk about it, it's like I'm not perfect anymore. Like it's, it's like relinquishing, it is relinquishing control. Like if I can say that nothing's wrong, <laughs> passive aggressively, like gives me like some sort of control. And the guy's like, no, like what's wrong? Like we have to figure this out now. Nothing. It's fine. And you're just like, great. <laughs> I don't know how to approach this after that. We'll just wait for her to come around. And that could be a dangerous situation. Obviously guys can do that too, but girls, we always try to stereotype you guys for that one. <laughs> I, I do like to add on to what you were saying, Tanisha, that most abusive or toxic relationships are about some form of control, whether that be emotional, 
or physical or any of those things. And I think that's kind of like a highlight to remember of this episode. If you're going to take anything away, that to look for those signs of someone trying to be dominant or controlling over you in different aspects of your life because abuse and this to- these toxic red flags can come in so many different forms. And so it's just important to be mindful of the health of your relationship and if you truly feel like you're an equal partner in all aspects of your relationship, whether that's the physical, emotional, um, connection-wise, all of that financially, all of those things are important to watch out for. And I think to expand on that a little bit, you said you said uh, controlling controlling somebody else. I don't I don't I don't think that's the same as you know wanting to be like in control of your of yourself. Like it's okay for somebody to want to do things to feel in control over themselves, but when they're using control as a way to overpower somebody else's life is is definitely the key there. Yes, I think when somebody truly wants to control themselves, it's like it's almost like they'll they'll let go a little more and they'll be like, okay, like, you know, I'm not going to emotionally respond like in a negative way because I'm like, if someone's in controlling their emotions and really is in control, they can sit and let somebody express like an emotion like anger or grief or sadness and still stay calm because that emotion isn't like in them. And they can sit and say, oh, I understand you without escalating with the other person. It's kind of um, rare, actually, because we have so much empathy for each other that we naturally will get angry when someone else is angry or we'll get sad when somebody else is sad. But like if you really are focused on controlling yourself, that's what it would look like. And so, yeah, I think that's a great thing to point out, Jerry. Awesome. Thanks for that. And thanks for sharing these these five signs um, of a toxic relationship. I think that they've that they've really been very good and, and, and helpful for, for me, you know, to kind of categorize them and, and have them have them laid out because I think to some degree and we've all seen or heard of these type of things. And uh, it's, it's likely that you're not going to experience just one of these things. You might be experiencing um, one or more or all of them in a, in a toxic relationship. And it's up to you to really decide, what's making this relationship toxic versus, you know, people are doing some things that you may not like again, you know, and they, and, and, and they can change. Uh, it's definitely up to, to your discretion based on your overall vibes and, and how you feel when you're with someone. Yes. Thank you. And I think also just like, if you're experiencing these things, like there's so much hope out there, like God will help you find your way out of them. And I think just relying on Heavenly Father, especially through prayer, um, if you're experiencing these things, I think you can pray for the other person to have a softened heart, and you can pray for yourself to have the strength to like really initiate setting some boundaries with the other person and being able to stay emotionally healthy through the process, whether you're choosing to heal or whether you're choosing to completely sever the relationship. Um, I think it's important to know that Heavenly Father can play an important role in that process and can help you feel supported and loved when you're not experiencing those feelings from your partner. I think a good question to ask yourself also when you're having these you know, times of reflection like you're talking about and including God in your decision making for your relationships is to ask yourself if you would want your daughter or your son to be in this relationship and be honest with yourself about it. 
And that can kind of open some eyes, even if you don't have any kids, of course, just thinking about your child being in that relationship, if you would be happy for them or if you'd be worried for them. And that can kind of help you be able to break down and take a step back and see if this is really the healthy relationship that you need uh, to have a successful, happy marriage and an eternal one, which is what ultimately God wants us to have. And he so desires us to have that happy, that happy companionship and not just for this life, but for the next. So Tanisha, just to wrap up, do you have any last thoughts or scriptures or anything that you want to share with our listeners that you want them to take away from this episode? Um, the only thing I really have to share is that Heavenly Father loves us. He loves us all. And I think it's important to recognize that he has a role in our lives. And like, if you're being abused verbally, um, psychologically, or physically, there's definitely a way out and he can help you. And then just like, if you have participated in abusive behavior, there's also healing for you. There's hope for you. You can have redemption. Um, and with redemption, there also comes some consequences. But if you're willing to own up to those, you can actually overcome the challenges that you face also. And I just think God love, God loves everyone and each of us. And so it's important to recognize like whether you're the abuser or you're the one being abused, if you rely on God, you can change. And you can also experience like freedom from from this experience because I think it affects both of the abused and the abusers, um, and there's safety to be found for for people in these situations. Wow, I really love that. Thank you for sharing that and bringing that perspective to both sides. I think that's really important to remember that we're all children of of the same God who loves us all equally and fully and unconditionally, and He. He's there for us. Um, thank you for sharing that, Tanisha. So just to wrap up, how is the best way for our listeners to contact you? If, if they have more questions about today's episode or just want to reach out because you're freaking awesome, <laughs> how can they How can they reach out to you? <laughs> thank you. Yeah, the best way to reach me personally is LinkedIn. Um, it's Tanisha Shedden. You can just reach me on LinkedIn. I like to, yeah, we can have a chat. And then... If I also have an Instagram, it's called at the found project one. It's just a little organization that I have that is focused on educating people on mental health. And so those are the two best ways to reach me. So we will link all of those in the show notes below. So make sure to check that out. And thank you so much once again for joining us for another single to sealed episode. If you enjoy single to sealed, be sure to invite your friends to help our podcast family grow. If you haven't subscribed, followed, or favorited, be sure you do so you don't miss out on any of our great content. Thank you for joining us today as we help you move one step closer to sealing the deal. We'll We'll see see you you next time. time.